and that lets you save the look here. True form life. Green look on Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome back to another edition of Nationally Syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for checking out the show and being here week after week, whether you're listening on terrestrial radio across the country or around the world on a podcast. We certainly wouldn't be here without you. Today I'm bringing on Erin Wathen, and I want to tell you about her. This is a great interview, another fantastic guest that we have coming on. I'm so grateful for our guests that continue to come on week after week. Erin is a holistic health coach, food abuse counselor, and author of Why Can't I Stick to My Diet, which is what we'll be talking about today. She's originally from the West Coast, and she's worked in human resources in New York City for many years. Her philosophy is that health isn't a number on a scale or how often we exercise, but our lives as a whole. She partners with her clients to work on solutions that fit into their lifestyle, empowering them to live their healthiest life in our crazy world. So that's, in a nutshell, what we have going on. Again, thanks so much for being here. Another great guest we have coming up here. Aaron has so many tips and tricks and suggestions to help you learn to live a healthy lifestyle. So sit back and enjoy. We got all that coming up on... This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. You heard all about Aaron in the introduction, so without further ado, welcome to the show, Aaron. Hey, how are you? Fantastic. We're excited to have you here talking about why I can't stick to my diet. <laughs> so tell us how you got into this, maybe a bit about your background and what you have going on. A little bit about me. I was one of those women who was always fighting with their weight. I wasn't super overweight, like by like the BMI charts or anything, but I always had this constant struggle to lose 15 or so pounds. I call it like the white noise in the back of my mind of how many calories I'd eaten, if I could fit in my jeans by Friday, this never ending constant internal conversation. And it wasn't until I realized it was what I was eating that was the problem. I was a group X instructor and I taught yoga and spinning and Pilates and was working out forever. And yet I never really saw the connection between what I was ingesting and the lack of results because I worked out so much. And it wasn't until I got in the nutrition side that I could see if that was the problem. So the reason I wrote, why can't I stick to my diet was because that's the question I asked myself a million times. I would have these really great intentions, you know, every Monday morning of this is the week I'm going to do it. This is the week it's finally going to all click, whether it be Weight Watchers or, you know, the cabbage soup diet or whatever, you know, name the diet of the week. And yet it wouldn't take, and I would end up thinking like it's the willpower or it's this or that when there was so much more to it. And a lot of it was, I just am one of those people that really can't have sugar. I can't have artificial sweetener. You know, white flour isn't an option for me. 
But in the bigger picture, the problem was I never really dealt with my emotional attachment to food. I never dealt with the bigger picture of why I was going to food in a non-fuel-like mindset. Because so many of us at a young age, we go to food very innocently. Like, you know, we're sad or we're happy and someone's like, here, have a cookie. Here, have a piece of cake. Here, have something, right? And the next thing we know, there's this connection built in our brain of emotion, food, emotion, food. And through years and years, this wear pattern is, is established where when we have a feeling we don't want to deal with, we go to food. And then through many years that become decades, this becomes a way of life. So when I look back at all the failed diets, which now I don't you know, think of as a bad thing. I think of them as like a case study and what not to do. It was all cosmetic, what I had been doing before, just cosmetic changes, right? I was counting points. I was cutting this macro or upping that macro. I wasn't actually doing any of the work internally about, okay, if I'm upset about my mother, for example, why does that mean I eat a bag of cookies? Or why does that mean my diet is thrown out? Because that was the real reason I couldn't stick to my diet. And did you find out why? Because when I was a kid, I ended up, you know, food equaled, you know, a distraction. And I had to work on that, breaking that connection. That was the real work. But a lot of people don't want to do that, which is why they count points. So that's easier. Yeah, you know, I, like I, I love that what you're saying here. We're in the same mindset of I don't think it's beneficial to, you know, what, if we design a meal plan, people always want to know how many calories am I eating a day. And I, say, I don't know. I'm not going to sit and count, and you should neither. Or if we post a, a meal or a, a meal online, people say, well, how many calories or how many carbs in there? And then I say, I don't know. Stop counting. You know, so <laughs> I think that like we're right on the same page here, but. Why do you think that's easier? You said that it's easier to, well, I guess it's easy. So you're saying it's easier to count instead of find that deep emotion that's causing that? Yeah. I mean, think about it like for this example. So it's easier for your client to say, well, how many calories am I eating? And to kind of get in your grill, so to speak, about the macros versus why do I need to lose 20 pounds? What in my life is not working that got me to a place or I need to lose 20 pounds. And some people will tell you things kind of, you know, almost like a cliche where I didn't put myself first. Okay, let's dig deeper. What's really going on? And after a couple of minutes, they'll end up telling you, you know, my mother's in the hospital. I hate my job. My marriage isn't great. I turn to food. Okay, that I can work with. That's honesty. But if all we're going to talk about is how many calories I can eat, you're, you're almost doomed to be in the same exact position a year from now, Yeah, which is why so many people are even like very silly, like practical things that I've gotten my clients to do, like just pause in the middle of a meal and see if you still like what you're eating. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I never thought about doing that before. I'm like, that's, that doesn't involve counting. It doesn't involve a scale. It doesn't involve any tools I'm trying to get you to buy, but just checking in with yourself to see how you're feeling about something no matter what it is, and this happens to be food, can actually impact your health. So just getting that connection to a lot of adults who are just completely detached, like their mind-body connection could not be farther apart. They don't see it. I mean, I've actually talked to people who are very overweight, 
who honestly can tell me that they never thought there was a connection between what they ate and their health when actually they were drowning their sorrows in gallons of Coke. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I wonder that. I've never really asked that question, but you wonder like when someone has a cheeseburger <laughs> or you're going down the aisle and you see someone that doesn't look very healthy and their whole grocery cart is filled with unhealthy items and I wonder like did they know or is it I mean I don't know if they know or if it's a control issue or or, or what the issue what the main issue is there but you can see a direct correlation there with an unhealthy cart and an unhealthy individual it's you know it's not rocket science no it's really not I mean I'm also a food addiction counselor so I spend a lot of time studying the psychology behind it all and there's many types of food addicts like you know, there's the sugar people, then there's the volume and not everyone that's overweight is a food addict, by the way, there's many types and many flavors, that kind of thing. But there is a huge disconnect. A lot of people have to almost buy into in order to keep putting their cart full of that, those things. You know what I've found from those that we work with is that it's the opposite. It's the ones that don't eat like that, that have the biggest oh, yeah. issues. Like, you eat maybe a late lunch or a late breakfast or you have um, lunch and then you have a dinner and that's it. And I'm like, how could you eat to increase your metabolism? How could you eat for energy? How could you eat to nutritionize your body when you have one or two meals a day? It just doesn't work. And then what's really scary is then they'll tell you, I'm I'm doing intermittent fasting. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm doing a key, I'm, I'm even doing ketosis. You're like, actually, that's not how that works. And no. <laughs> yeah, very, very interesting. Because what you said earlier, like, whatever the latest fat is, is like, that's, oh, that's why I'm doing it. That's the reason, right? <laughs> like, no, you skipping breakfast had nothing to do with intermittent fasting. Right. So, yeah. So when it comes to those deep emotions, how do you get your clients to address them? Those are got to be the most challenging to be like, let's sit down and dig deep. How do you get to that level with them? Well, first of all, what we what I usually start with is we just get rid of the food because the food has to go first. And then I'll always have them write like some people do bullet points. Some people write an essay of like, what's your what's your story? Like, how did you get here? Like, what's your history with your weight and your food? And then I'll have them write, like, where do you want to be in a year from now? And not just a number, like, how do you want to feel? What does you a year from now look like? What is your day like? How's your relationship with your partner? To get them to think about how much their weight currently impacts their relationships. Because so many of us don't realize how we feel about ourselves impacts how we treat others and how we let others treat ourselves. But when you say to someone when they're first starting, hey, you know, you're putting up with a lot of crap from people because you're overweight and you don't realize it, they, they aren't ready for it. So but when you have them visualize, okay, a year from now and you've dropped, you know, 30 pounds, how are you at work? How are you at church? How are you in your community? That kind of gets the wheels turning. And then, you know, four months in when they say, hey, you know, I noticed this problem at work and I finally feel like I could talk to my boss about it. Oh, really? How did that go? It was very well received and now we're making a big change. Then they see the connection. But as far as getting them prepped for that, there's usually a time four to six weeks into it where there's some sort of a crisis, right? 
not a huge crisis, not a medical crisis, but a life thing, right? They get in a fight with their partner, their boss isn't thrilled with them at work, you name it. And by then there's enough trust and rapport between the two of us where they know to come to me and we'll work it through it. We'll talk about it. You know, ideally I'm available, like live I'm available, but sometimes, you know, I'm not. But before then we'll have enough of a framework of when you are upset, what things can you do besides eat? You can, you know, journal, you can get one of those coloring books for grownups. I don't really care what you do. <laughs> you can knit, you can work out, you can call a friend. I mean, there's hundreds, if not thousands of things you can do besides go to food. Cause we know where food goes. We know how we know what that habit has gotten us and it's gotten us nowhere. So when I get them to realize this feeling will only take about 20 minutes to subside and this feeling you have, you're meant to have for a reason of frustration, of anger, of whatever it is, because you, you need to address it. So if we would just bury it under a sea of Doritos, we're missing an opportunity to fix a situation at work or address the longstanding problem with our mother. While in past years, all we would do is just eat a bag of Doritos, put on the blinders and go on with our lives. So once they see, okay, I lived through it, the world kept rotating, this can be done, then they start to trust the process more. But it's usually that first fork in the road that they're sort of not really completely believing in me of the process. Because most people have been dieting off and on, especially women, for years if not decades. So until we have that first fork in the road, I like to call it, then they're like, okay, I'm all in. Because they'll say, like, I was kind of holding back a little bit. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. It's fine. I totally get it. it, it I knew that. And, and, if, and if you weren't, I would think it was, you know, whatever. But once they see, okay, that's possible. I'm now someone that doesn't overeat when I'm upset. I can handle my feelings. And, oh, my gosh, the sun still rose the next day. Then it's okay. Because I think once people realize... Would you rather be uncomfortable in a body, you know, 23 hours and 40 minutes of the day or have an uncomfortable feeling for 20 minutes? They see the choices they've been making and how just illogical they were. But when you're in that habit or that pattern for years and years, it's really hard to get out of it. You know what I tell people is that when you have like when you have an issue that's not addressed, you deal with that issue until it is addressed. You know, like, so if someone, like, if something, someone wrongs you, or if you want to have a need to have a conversation with someone that's been bothering you for a while, if you have that conversation, if that's bothering you and you have that conversation, that's going to bother you until you have that conversation. So it could be 20 minutes. But if you continue to let that fester in your mind for minutes and weeks and months and many times years, going back to childhood, then that moment is still happening. You still have that moment going on in your life. You've never gotten over it and you keep reliving it instead of just dealing with it and moving on, which could be more challenging than just that. But you're still hanging on to that for the rest of your life, which is detrimental to our health, as we know. Agreed. Absolutely. I mean, I think, too, it's just learning new behaviors and that takes time to really establish them. Aaron, tell me about you mentioned here when how do I say how, how, how food affects you or how you feel about yourself 
that is also reflected on how you treat other people. That was interesting to me. Tell me more details about how you said that. Um, do you know what I mean? Do you remember when you said that a few minutes ago? Yeah, I remember that. So when, when we feel bad about ourselves, like when we binge and we are in this like shame cycle, are we the best version of ourselves we could be? Odds are you're not. I know I wasn't, you know, when I was super strung out on sugar and the next day when I'd wake up and dealing with my kids and then I would immediately go to like slam a bunch of diet Coke cause my head was throbbing. And then my, my kids were just like kids. They aren't any worse or any better than anyone else's kids. Probably about the same. Um, I wasn't the world's most patient person. I'm not saying I'm most patient now, but looking back on it and seeing how I was short, I was crabby. I was a little bit bitchy perhaps because I was embarrassed. And also the chemical reaction, everything I was eating was making me short tempered, you know, and also there's a huge, like just this, this sugar crash is just a fact, but also psychologically when we're doing something, we know is self-destructive and then we're hiding it. Even if it's something seemingly innocuous like sugar, which isn't socially unacceptable, but it still has an addictive quality to it, we're ashamed of ourselves. So we're not usually our best selves because we're so stuck in our head trying to figure out like what happened, how it can happen again, how it's not our fault. Instead of engaging with you right now, I could be in this completely different space because of what I have just eaten if I was still in that, still in those habits. So if you're kind of miserable from the food that you've been eating, you feel miserable yourself, so you treat other people miserably. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those strange phenomenons we don't even know we're doing until we're off of all of those foods that affect our behavior. I mean, think of kids like the day after Halloween, they are like the walking dead. <laughs> I mean, they stayed up late. They had a bunch of junk. They're trying to get them out of their beds. They're, they're really grumpy and nasty because they're all stirring out on sugar. And it's going to be the same thing on Monday after Easter. I guarantee it. <laughs> Cause you can have this collective, like hungover, <laughs> sugar, hungover kids all across the land. But and they're not going to be the nicest kids in the world because they're going to be grumpy and they're not necessarily them be their best selves. But if you have that sort of behavior year after year, it absolutely impacts how you treat other people. But how you treat other, other people is almost always a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. Right. Tell me how we allow other people to treat us in that same regard. Sure. So if you don't really like yourself, are you going to have healthy boundaries? Are you going to think of the world in black and white? Most likely you're going to think that you either have this, I'm either nasty or I'm a pushover when actually you can be firm and nice. You can just show people how they're going to treat you or, you know, mirror it and have a very productive, happy life without thinking the world is a place where you have to be a bull in a China shop you can be, you know, productive and effective and efficient and all these other good words without having to live in this place. It's totally binary. Cause I used to think, well, I'm either a pushover or I'm the B word, right? Cause that's what we're always afraid of as women. Well, actually, no, you can be assertive and you can say your point and not have it be a negative thing. Right. But we typically 
when we're in this bad place mentally, we can't go there because we're so trapped in our own dramas in our head. So that's common for women in general or women unhealthy, people unhealthy that I suppose I've never heard that, that we feel if we share our opinion, we're miserable or, or either that if we don't share our opinion, people just walk all over us. Um, I think it's you know, p- pretty common for most people that are miserable in general, but I mean, I think women have a, an extra layer of social pressure. I mean, since you asked, I think we have a, spe- you know, just the conditioning of always being nice, or if you're not nice, you're the antithesis of nice. And it's this binary thing when there is a place in the middle you can be, but when you're strung out on food, you don't like, or not, you don't like yourself because of your own behaviors, you see things even more extremely so when someone comes to you and they say why can't i stick to my dad i know we, we've talked about emotions here and patterns or maybe even conditioning responses when someone comes to you with a with a mindset of i can't stick to my dad i'm not able to see results what's the first thing that you see besides as we went over sitting down and maybe journaling and talking about some of those emotions what's the first commonality i see if they could not seeing results yeah let's start there i I'd want to see their food, quite frankly. And do you think it's more – earlier I said that I, f- I feel like most of the people that I see or deal with don't eat enough. Do you think that a lot of people come to you that overeat? I think their food – I think they're going to lie, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, they're going to say I don't eat anything or all I eat is th- – honestly, it's sort of like I want to say what are you eating and even if they say they're eating perfectly, I just want to see how they say it. It's 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 sort of a litmus test. Because if, <laughs> if, if they say something like, well, I've been eating nothing but Burger King and I haven't really been trying. I'm like, okay, at least you're being honest. Right. But if all the just justifications and the excuses start spewing out, I go, all right, like we got so much work to do. Because <laughs> the Burger King person, I can at least – all right, you're being honest. Right. You at least can see it. You can help but that, the excuses, right? but Or at least we can talk about it. But the excuses and the justification person, like they don't even know where they're at. They can't even see the problem. Because, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe mangoes are healthy in small amounts, but eating an entire bag of dried mangoes is not necessarily a good idea. So I was laughing earlier because – when I started out, nutrition was something I was passionate about. I started out in fitness, but that trans, translated more into nutrition, nutrition because I, maybe I'm more passionate about that. But I started to look at nutrition, nutrition journals, and um, <laughs> some of the ones that came in were perfect, like absolutely perfect. So A, I was like, that's a lie. Like, mm-hmm. Why is it perfect? And then B is like, if you're going to like openly lie to me, I can't help you. If you're not going to tell, tell me exactly what you're eating, how can I help you? And that was, like, yep. it was very shocking to me. And even maybe even at this point in my career in life, I don't completely understand. Like if, if you're just going to lie about it and it's an open lie, this is what I've ate, which everyone knows you haven't. How can you, how can we help? No, I agree. I used to um, work at Weight Watchers <laughs> for a while, and I used to weigh people in, right? And there would be people that would come in and get down to their underwear to weigh in. <laughs> I assume it was fascinating, right? Because you weigh what you weigh whether you come in or not. 
in the same way with your journal. Like you can write down, you know, a novel that is completely fiction, but you know what you put in your face. So why they're bothering to lie to you is a much bigger problem than if they ate a cheeseburger. Like the lying to you and the lying of themselves, that's, I think, way more problematic than if they went off the rails and owned it. But with people that would come and take off all their clothes and all these like really weird things they would do, and then they would they would always start talking to me about it. I would just be sitting there with like the little journal I had and the stickers, just trying to get them like the line moving because almost always they would start just justifying what had happened or they've been on a cruise and right. and I was just sort of you know observing this entire thing, but they were always telling me like what had been going on in their week for why they didn't lose weight. And by the way, I never asked. They would even have us practice reactions. We would have these little drills <laughs> because no, for real, they would have us practice because sometimes to someone who had gone on a cruise and had gained seven pounds, they were thrilled because last year they gained 10 pounds. Oh my God. And then other times people that had gained seven pounds would start to cry. So they would have us practice saying, well, you're up seven pounds. <laughs> For real. I'm honest to God, I'd have us do this. You're up seven pounds this week, Drew. And then your reaction, you would start to cry or you would start to like do a happy dance, would stimulate how I would, well, you know, the whole thing would happen then, right? So based upon your reaction, then I would go, you know, A or B, right? Because to some people, seven pounds is a victory. Other people, it was a tragedy. So it's interesting when people lie on their food journals because your your body, it doesn't matter. Your body's not, not going to fall for it. Your body gained weight or your body lost weight last week. Right. So lying to your food journal and sending you a load of bull is not helping anyone. It just <laughs> isn't. But I know, I know those people that are like, I did everything right. I'm like, and yet nothing's happening. Yeah. And I think it's like, they, I did everything right and it's still not changing. So what can I do? Like, well, you can actually do things, right? <laughs> but um, I think that's hilarious. So they were—they actually taught you how to react. So were they like, raise your eyebrows and open your eyes? <laughs> no, 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 they, no, they would say, well, say it in a neutral tone. And then, you know, the first couple of times my, noon, my tone wasn't neutral enough. And then I would have to do it again. And then <laughs> because, because sometimes you would, women would start bursting out crying if they'd been trying and trying and trying and only were down like half a pound. And then other women were thrilled that they were down half a pound because they, you know, ate a cold cake the night before. I mean, it was always crazy. I don't advocate for that company anymore. But some of the way I look back on it now that I'm so far away from it and on this side of it, those sort of things crack me up because having them, having us practice saying things that were just facts like you being up seven pounds is a fact how you react to it is a choice mm -hmm. so Aaron tell me about your book and uh, your website I know you have a lot of things going on here tell us for um, our listeners that want more details about what you have going on I'd like to know what that is sure my book will be in bookstores in November um, why can't I stick to my diet? It's actually on Amazon right now if you don't want to wait. So that's also an option. It's available on Kindle. Um, I'm also, a, I have a coaching business. All my stuff is on my website, um, ewwellnesssolutions.com. I have some workouts there. I do a daily blog. I do a video every day. 
um, you know, everything from nutrition to how to deal with relatives making you crazy over the holidays, because so much of it impacts how we deal with ourselves, how we deal with others, wellness, you know, it all is one big issue as far as I'm concerned. So sometimes the topics will seem kind of like, hmm, what's it have to do with, you know, mindful eating? Well, actually, it all kind of has to deal with <laughs> how we view ourselves and others. So there's a whole like library of videos up there. So whatever you need. So just head over to your website and we'll be able to connect. I'm sure you have your Amazon link on there and more details about your book launch coming out in stores. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. We'll link those in the show notes. Aaron, it was a blast. So much fun. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for sticking around till the end. And thanks to Aaron for joining us on this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, we so much appreciate you sticking around till the end. If you want more details as to what we have going on, head over to trueformlife.com. This is where we put together more information and details about meal planning, recipes, grocery shopping lists at-home workouts. This is mostly put together in our monthly membership program where we offer exclusively for Exploring Mind and Body listeners the first month for only a dollar. We want to bring you in, show you what it's like to have be a part of our amazing online community and work together to help you reach your goals. Again, trueformlife.com. All these past shows are going up on exploringmindandbody.com. So if you ever miss a show, you can always go back and listen there. And we also have a free app that you can download on any Apple device. So I'm going to leave you with that. Once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.